and welcome to the edition podcast, a weekly look at where tech and media collide. As ever, there is much to discuss, but I want to go back to a topic that's been brewing in the UK media, but also affects uh, viewers in the US and Australia too. It's been going on a while, and that is the emergence and sort of disappearance of Talk TV. It's a rolling news and talk channel, as the name suggests. Uh, it comes from Rupert Murdoch's News UK company, but it was built on the back of that company's radio station, Talk Radio, which was a DAB radio station, uh, which, while not everyone's cup of tea, it had a pretty decent enough listenership, big name hosts, and so on. And then they tried to turn it into a hybrid kind of digital radio, TV, linear TV channel. And anyway, the viewing number suggests it's not gone quite as they had hoped. There are lots of reasons for this. And I thought I'd have someone on to, who disagrees with me about the reasons why this might have happened. So Jasper Jackson, formerly of Guardian Media, now of the Bureau of Investigative Journalism. Thank you for joining me. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah, very good to have you. Yes, you've got a background in both tech reporting and media reporting. So I thought a good person to have a bit of a ding dong on this with. So my thesis, if I could be so grand, is that British TV viewers, British news TV consumers, so the small amount of people who actually watch TV and bother to watch, spend their TV watching time watching news style TV, um, and don't tend to because of the Britain, British media ecosystem, which is pretty heavily regulated by Ofcom and you're meant to not have, you know, we don't have partisan channels in the way we have partisan newspapers in the UK. It's the opposite to the US. Um, basically means something like talk TV with big name hosts like Piers Morgan spouting strong opinions as they proudly tell us they're doing is just not the type of thing that's going to work. But I also thought if anyone was going to make it work, it would be the vast resources of Rupert Murdoch's pockets. It doesn't seem to be the case. I think I saw some figure the other day that it dropped to 32,000 viewers whilst Piers Morgan was on holiday or something. I mean, it's not going to plan, is it? It's obviously not going to plan. Um, in many ways, it, it never, for me, I never thought it was going to do terribly well. Um, you would have sort of expected, you know, someone of Murdoch's experience, particularly his organization's experience, right. um, to actually take a look at this and, and look at the, the total potential audience and, and actually how the business model would work and look at it as a, in my opinion, what should have looked like pretty much certainly from a business perspective, a doomed venture. Um, of course, um, you know, the media is not merely a straightforward business. There are political reasons why you might want to have a powerful um, TV station pushing a particular angle um, that would make sense. But to me, it always seems pretty much doomed to fail in a lot of ways. And I think while I agree with you very much about the the differences in, in culture um, with the media, particularly that sort of newspaper, it, it's the opposite way around, you know, America's yeah. newspapers all sort of broadly self-regulate themselves to be very, very neutral and and sort of, you know, neutral to a fault uh, in a way that in the UK, the BBC often is neutral potentially to a fault, but the BBC does that through a combination of public pressure and also the um, a strong regulatory system. Um, uh, but, yeah, and the regular system in part comes from the way it's funded, i.e. through you and I paying our licence fee. Absolutely. But, you know, that also applies to a greater or lesser degree, lesser degree for, to the other channels. Yeah. The the thing that the reason I think, um, you know, the, the comparison with Fox News is the one we have to make because mm -hmm. it, it's, it is it's Murdoch's very successful, um, you know, huge um, cash generating business. And I'm uh, sorry to interrupt you, but we also know and it would be crazy had it been different 
that um, from what I've read is that there were people from Fox News who were part of the conversation for creating Talk TV, particularly the sets. And if you look at the Talk TV sets, that won't surprise you in the slightest. They look like Fox News sets, don't they? Not just the sets, you know, the 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 entire, you know, the graphics. That yep, the yep, All absolutely. of that is extremely reminiscent of um, reminiscent of Fox in a way that, you know, GB News um, was not not nowhere near as reminiscent of, of Fox. It was much less polished. So, and styled. Yeah. So so for my listeners outside of the UK, let's briefly explain what GB News is, because that is the comparison you have to make. Uh, GB News is another start. It's just much more of a pure startup channel. It was funded by a few it was different businessmen and all sorts of people put some money into creating this linear TV news channel. Um, they put a lot of emphasis on regional reporters. Again, there was always this assumption that it was, uh, you know, right leaning. And if you look at the lineup and the talk hosts and so on, the kind of it in a way that Fox News does in some ways, it does differentiate its news time and its more prime time opinion time in a way that American viewers would be familiar with. But um, it is, as Jasper's rightly saying, it is not the slick operation um, uh, of Talk TV because it didn't have the backing that Talk TV had. And uh, it was Andrew Neil, who's a very, very prominent political journalist here in the UK, started it, left very soon afterwards, been all a bit of a furore. But it was criticised very highly for its very sloppy um, launch, but seems to have kind of endeared itself to viewers who are interested in that kind of TV, hasn't it? Its numbers I mean, are better than talk TV. I mean, its numbers are still terrible, but they are better than talk TVs. Um, but again, I think to my 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 sort of chief argument with this idea mm. that it's, it's a cultural thing that that stop this happening is 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 rests on a number of factors. One of them is simply that Fox launched in 1996. Fox launched at a time where the internet was a thing, but social media wasn't. Um, it launched into a highly polarized world that's, you know, in, in politically, or certainly a world where there were very, very heavily politicized wings, particularly a right wing in American politics, um, that was its, its basic wanted to appeal to. And but it but it launched at a time when yeah, the, the internet was not the dominant force it is now, and certainly wasn't the the dominant place for these polarized views. And it came along and it tried to polarize the public, and um, offered something that you can basically get on the internet really easily now. There are a couple of caveats around Fox News that are really important to think about um, that affect both our assessment of how badly uh, Talk TV is doing, and also the business model aspect of this, which I think is actually quite interesting. Um, a, Fox has something like 2.5 million viewers. Well, that is not a lot in a country the size of the US. That's, the equivalent would be, you know, Talk TV is still underperforming that number, but Talk TV would need to get about half a million people to be on the same, the same level as Fox uh, in terms of a proportion of the, the population. The other thing, and this is why, this is why I, I'm sort of slightly baffled by the decision to launch Talk TV is that Fox, uh, you know, Fox makes great money from advertising, sure, but it makes a huge proportion of its income from carriage fees. Carriage fees, which are paid by all cable subscribers who have a package that has Fox in it, which is 90% of them, yeah. but they don't have to watch it. It's it's just it's just sliced off. It's yeah. almost like a license fee funded in some ways. Yeah, I mean, this, this is the case, as I understand it, with all cable... All channels that are included in US cable networks is, as I understand it, part of the reason why CNN Plus never included live streaming of what was going on on the CNN linear channel. 
mm. um, and so on. Um, obviously, the same is true for MSNBC, which is always seen as the kind of polar of um, of Fox News and kind of the counterbalance to Fox News, um, which I think even has smaller numbers than Fox News, doesn't yeah. it, by yeah, yeah, quite significant it. margins. Um, but again, makes its money both through advertising and being included in most people's cable packages. Um, I, I just think even with all those different bits in circumstance, the cult, the reason the this has not worked is not because I, I just find it hard to imagine a kind of very polarizing channel uh, working in the UK because of what we've grown up expecting from news television. We have expected very kind of staid BBC news broadcasters. I mean, uh, Channel 4 here in the UK, people get quite, some people get quite worked up is the kind of quote unquote left wing news channel. And maybe at some points that does slip into it. But by most standards, it's pretty, plays with a pretty straight back um, in terms of the way it presents news um, and the stories it chooses and so on. There's not this hyper partisan personality cult around presenters in the same way. Um, that we that we see in the US. Um, and so in a way, I actually come around to agreeing with you that th this was doomed to fail. I'm just amazed that something with the resources of Talk TV has failed so quickly, it has not got the, you know, has not had the backing and the innovation and the kind of structure in place where it had a fighting chance. I mean, I, so there is there are another sort of, there's two two aspects. One thing I just need to mention before before we, we go into that cultural thing and and, and the mm. why they might have made that decision. The other thing to really think about is the EPG replacing. You know, BBC yeah. One is number one when you switch on your TV mm -hmm. in the EPGs. Obviously, we've got you know the the, the program guides are um, you know designed to enable you to find things more quickly, etc., sure. etc. But frankly, we still have a situation where the most natural thing to do is open up your TV menu and scroll downwards. And you know, you look at where Talk TV is, and it's Couple it's, hundred down there. Channels. it's 237 on the EPG. Yeah, um, on, on a preview box, yeah. And 500 on Sky, something like that. Um, it's a long way down. So you have discoverability is this huge, huge problem. You know, that was I, that was argued to be one of the reasons that local TV in the UK failed so badly. Although the actual main reason for that is it was bloody terrible because um, it's badly funded. Um, and was probably never going to work. That's one issue, I think, um, that was sort of always going to hamstring anything, even if you'd made a much more, a much less overtly political, polarised yeah. panel. Although um, they made, there was such a huge advertising campaign around the launch of Talk TV that if you cared about it, it was pretty easy to find out where you could find it. Yeah. It seems to me that people did not care about it. Uh, I would also say, well, you've mentioned, and I'm pleased you have the EPG and kind of what it looks like on linear, straight up kind of freeview television. Um, that is not an HD channel. It's when I've watched it, it's barely been a standard definition channel. On a freeview box, it looks appalling <laughs> to the extent, you know, they spent fortunes on sets and presenters and so on, and it looks abysmal on. A standard definitely you know i've got a decent tv and it looks awful um you put it on youtube and you get a pretty you get a much better experience because uh, and my understanding apparently uh, the reason was basically there was no room on, on the spectrum and it you know if they'd wanted an hd channel it would have taken the place of four standard definition channels basically so 
Um, and, and so it, basically you might turn it on and you're not going to see something that's impressive if you mm. find it scrolling through your kind of TV guide, and which I, I think possibly plays into it as well. It's not, a, you know, it's not slick like Sky News in HD or something. And and that's sort of a, it's sort of a, an interesting reminder of what I think is actually one of the really fundamental reasons why they thought this was a good idea and why it wasn't. That it's it's a lot about the format, and there is an yeah absolutely there's an element that we expect TV news to work in a certain way in this country, and that that, that talk TV be quite jarring, but also just the way people watch TV generally um, is very much about a sort of lazy passive kind of experience. Whereas online, it's a very different ballgame. And the thing is, online, there is a huge audience for obnoxious, you know, I would say controversial, but I mean, it's often faux controversy, um, you know, fighting back against um, wokeism. There is a big audience, although the audience maybe isn't as big as you might expect, but there is the kind of audience that Fox News gets. You know, there is... You'd imagine half a million people easily are into you know the woke wars, etc. And you know, are very exercised about cancel culture, um, which is obviously one of the, the things they've got in massively about this, and they cancel themselves. Um, but I think you can understand why someone looks at the UK and looks at those debates online and looks particularly at the really strong engagement that um those kind of viewpoints get um from a sizable minority of people and go, well, look, there's an audience out there for this. But that audience isn't going to go looking for that content. They don't particularly love that content. Or if they do, they love that content partly because it's so wrapped up in the, the format and medium through which they consume it. Yes. Which is one that's built around engagement and interactivity and you know a load of arguably unhealthy mechanisms. Yeah, and I think there is a thing. I wrote, when I, when I wrote about the kind of... I first wrote about opening night, which was by most standards, let's, let's remind ourselves of that opening night, whatever it was, um, back in April now. Uh, it was pretty successful opening night. Piers Morgan, uh, uncensored, that first night got 317,000 viewers, first time. By the time it had got an 11pm UK repeat, that was 588,000 people had watched it. Not bad going for an opening night. Would they like it more? Yeah, obviously. But that's pushing the kind of half a million number you were talking about. Mm. I mean, we're nowhere near that now. There have been days where Tom Newton Dunn's show, which leads into the Piers Morgan show, basically records nothing. <laughs> I think I saw one figure banded around that was basically a tenth of opening night in that 8pm uh, hour. It's just It just hasn't worked. And I think this point of, you know, about people... People are not going to define themselves as a Piers Morgan fan or as a Piers Morgan watcher mm. in the way they do Rachel Maddow in the US or Tucker Carlson. Mm. I, it just doesn't seem to be part of British culture. Whereas actually we do that with newspapers. There's a kind of trope of the people that read your former employer, The Guardian, mm. um, or you know people that read The Daily Mail or The you know We have association with that which we don't have for television just because i think of the regulatory and environment in the uk what's interesting is that it doesn't seem to be doing all that well this channel in the other places where it's broadcast obviously it's part of the murdoch empire so uh it goes on fox nation in the us the streaming service and it's syndicated in sky news australia and i think in holland as well um 
And I think I read one story where they, you know, people in Australia were annoyed it was barging into things or, you know, it wasn't doing that well on Fox Nation. It just hasn't worked in I mean, any way, which is kind of intriguing as well. So I think, and I think, again, this is, part of this is about the culture wars kind of as a content driver. And... Mm-hmm. Which obviously is what Talk TV was about. Let's be very clear. Fundamentally, like, absolutely. It's yeah. called Piers Morgan Uncensored. He started off, the whole thing was about saying things that could apparently not be said. <laughs> despite lots him of, having you know, a large Twitter following and regularly saying them on Twitter to a much larger number of and people. And on podcasts and in widely read <laughs> newspaper columns and so on and so forth, yes. But, but again, um, so I've, I've spent far too much of my time recently you know, looking at the, the proper nut jobs, particularly around sort of um, anti-vaccine content, which is quite linked to a lot of the sort of far right or, or quite right movements and the really crazy people the really 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 engaged you know view this as their whole life are pretty international they they view you know they're interested in what's happening in other countries and as how it kind of um relates to you know maybe their own their own local experience but they're really interested in what what goes on everywhere else but as you get further away from the hardcore people in these culture wars are you know get excised about the culture wars that they're familiar with you know we, you know, Australia probably doesn't have quite the same debates as, as we do about, you know, Oxford statues or, you know, um, London liberal elites, because they, they, they probably have their own liberal elites, you know, presumably Melbourne liberal elites. But it's just not going to resonate on a broad enough group of people when you're importing, you know, someone else's culture war in a different country, which you're just not going to get that exercised about. Yeah, although I would argue in a lot of cases in British media we're importing America's culture or trying people are trying to import America's culture wars into America is always America is always the exception to this because it's so dominant within media. Yeah, America doesn't give a damn about anyone else what's happening anywhere else, but everywhere else in the English speaking world certainly has imported American culture wars. Yes. The other thing I think was interesting is actually um the the fact that yeah, the Trump, the first Trump interview, um, the first half of the Trump interview yes. did relatively well. And then the second half didn't. Now, I mean, I think there are a couple of things possibly at play there. I think one is that, um, you know, frankly, just watching Trump speak is a deeply painful process. Mm-hmm. For anyone who isn't a huge fan, um, it's it's just horrible. You know, it's I not remember, what you want to do while you're having your dinner, is it? No, but, it, you know, it's something that you might like look at a two second clip or you know, look at a, a quote on your phone while you're on the bus and get excised about and share, etc. But, yeah, you don't want to sit down and listen to that man and witter on. And I think that applies not to all of the people who might share some of his kind of politics, but I think it probably applies to some of them and certainly the softer core of British people who probably haven't seen that much, in, you know, that many Trump interviews. And yeah, very clearly, a large number of them did not want to hear any more Trump. Yes, I, I put in my original piece when I was looking at opening night, I noted that part two was going out the day I published that piece and wondered if Donald Trump was more exciting than Manchester City versus Real Madrid in the Champions League. Um, <laughs> all I'm saying is I know which one I chose to watch that night. Uh, and I will leave it at that. I suspect I'm not alone. And that's, of course, the other thing you're going up against, isn't it? If you're trying to do prime time, live sport is a huge, big part of what happens on British TV at that time. And for a lot of people, that's that matters quite a lot, doesn't it? And, you know, you could say, oh, well, people will watch it back on demand or on social media. 
But if you look at the talk TV social media numbers, and they, they've often tried to make this case, well, look at how well our clips are doing online. They're still paling behind some of the major, major influencers mm. that, who are creating organically for YouTube. Um, I looked at one, um, you know, there was a video with Tyson Fury, Piers Morgan with the boxing champion Tyson Fury. At the time I looked at it, it had 442,000 views and it was the biggest one on that channel. Um, and there was a few others that cleared 100K. Uh, I then quickly changed, just as a comparison, jumped over to Marquez Brownlee's tech YouTube channel. Uh, he put up a video 15 hours of earlier and it had 581,000 views. Yeah, like I mean, this this kind of speaks to a couple of a couple of bigger trends. Um, one, there is just the trend that, frankly, in the world where everyone is getting very angry and are polarized, etc., that online world, individual personalities with a direct connection to their audience, not mediated through the being on an eight pm slot in your um, in your uh, in your lovely set, they the, the sort of authentic talking direct into the camera is the thing that those people who might have been that polarized audience are used to. They're used to that kind of relationship with the personalities. You know, Piers Morgan would probably have more success just talking directly into a camera from his living room, um, as he does on Twitter when he just says horrible things on Twitter or says, you know, inane things on Twitter. And the other thing is that, that you've got, I mean, if you look at the Reuters Digital News Report, which you know, I know you've written about as well and, and, and spoke to you about, that decline in, in interest in news, broadly is is sort of also at play here to some extent you've now actually i don't think people are less interested in politics necessarily but these sort of traditional ways of consuming news are boring people to a large mm. extent and this wasn't reinventing the wheel it wasn't using new formats it wasn't using completely new ways of delivering both personality and information this was a pretty old school form of news delivery um, be it you know opinionated, done at a time when people are getting quite bored of the news. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually. And I think it, you're right that it does correspond with that digital news report, um, you know, which did show kind of not only that general news consumption was going down, but the places where people consume their news had, particularly younger people, were no surprise changing. Um, you know, TikTok is becoming more important in news and so on and so forth. Now, genuinely, if you think they had construed with the resources of News UK, a pure digital offering, do you think this might have worked? Because I have to be honest, I think it might have. It's a really interesting question. Um, I think that there are... So A, I think it would have had better rods, but one of the problems you have is that it is quite hard to get the kind of people who have the expertise in that kind of pure digital approach. You can't just put, you can't just put Piers Morgan in a set on, on, on the internet. You need to completely rethink the, the framing, the tone, the style, and the approach. And that requires a different set of people and that different set of people are a very they're just not like Tom Newton Dunn and 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 Piers Morgan they tend to be very young and to be frank a lot of the people in the kind of space that that Piers Morgan's trying to occupy who are very young 
often tend to have some really, this is massive generalization, but I think it, it does hold up some sense, often tend to have really, really, you know, even more um, questionable views that people yeah, are really, really I, stuff. I, I think we should make the point, actually, that Piers Morgan can be a controversialist or faux controversialist, as you put it. Hmm. But actually, a lot of his views on most things are not particularly extreme. I mean, you mentioned looking into the anti-vax world. He was very stridently pro-vaccine. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and at, uh, which I think is really worth remembering. And actually, criticized, when he was on another channel in the UK, very stridently critical of the government, what he saw was an underreaction to COVID and was often calling for more restrictions and more action. So Absolutely. It's, and I think, I think the thing he has probably most in common with those people who maybe might be anti-vax or might have, you know, extreme views on race, for instance, um, yeah, which you know, Morgan, I, I don't agree with him, but he's not, he's, he's not an, a, you know, an, an avowed racist or anything like that. No. So, you know, he's not. That's Again, quite the opposite has called, you know, has yeah. called lots of those groups to task. Uh, the thing know... he has in common with those people is the thing he sort of doubled down on in this, he doubled down on the, the idea that he is being censored. You know, which he isn't, mm -hmm. and that is that is the one the sort of the one unifying thing he has with those people. But if you tried to build something that was digitally native with those people who share that aspect of oh no, our slightly to the right views are being centred, a lot of those people are really dodgy individuals. Mm -hmm. You know, we're sort of getting into the to use the US examples. You know, we're getting to the Ben Shapiro kind of people who have proven they are good at digital and they are good at manipulating the digital world. But whose views, frankly, are a often toxic to advertisers, and b would not sit terribly well within quite a lot of News UK as well, because News UK, for its many faults, is is not it's not Tucker Carlson and it's not Ben Shapiro, it's not Breitbart. Um, and look, I, I don't uh, think the culture would have been a problem. Yeah, look, it's the it's the home of the paper of record, the Times. You know. <laughs> There is, I agree, there is an internal culture clash there. And, and this leads me to kind of the final thing I want to unpick in all this saga, which is why this, well, how they would like to portray themselves as the scrappy little startup that could barely get their, their programming on air at the beginning, GB News. Why does that seem to have the audience that Talk TV couldn't get? It didn't come in and grab everyone away from gb news pete quite you know quite the opposite in some ways i mean i mean frankly one of the reasons is because quite a lot of it's completely unhinged um i mean you in, said in that way, not me um <laughs> talk tv isn't but, but i mean unhinged in a kind of not even some of again i find some of the views that i've seen expressed there you know absolutely abhorrent and more so than what you often see on you know you'd see on talk tv but also some of it's just really weird like, and it's really weird and quite a lot of niche bits of Britain are pretty weird and, you know, <laughs> like it's there is a reason that don't that tell my listeners that there's lots of lovely listeners I have in America that think we're lovely and just have tea and stuff don't tell them we're weird too we, we are we are we are weird in our own unique and special ways but we are definitely as weird as the people in the US um, and I think weirdly um gb news to some extent is going to hit a bigger chunk of those niches in a way that talk tv sort of isn't able to because it's a glossy thing because it's trying to go for a bigger audience gb news was never gb news is never going to be a big thing but there is probably a bigger niche that it can target in a way that talk tv can't target those niches and i think that's partly why it's doing slightly better
Yeah, I mean, on the on the first night of Talk TV, we basically, I think another problem actually is we've been talking for the best part of a half an hour now, and we basically only mentioned one presenter on this one channel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was all built around the Piers Morgan hour, and that's not the way to make a successful brand. Now, I also found always from the outset this idea of trying to convert a radio station into a television station very weird because... Yeah. Actually, I said to you before the show, oh, I actually don't put out the video of our conversation, not just because I can't be bothered to put makeup on for you, but because I think audio is fundamentally different to video. And the way you deal with presenting being part of audio is very different to how you deal with being on video. Well, and I, so I think that jump from like the radio bit of talk TV to the primetime three hours of television talk TV is a bit weird as well. So I agree entirely, but then there is a weird counterpoint to that, which is if you look at Talk Radio's YouTube channel and its and its social media content, mm. which is video, mm-hmm. but it is just a video of someone in front of a mic and then someone else at home on a shoddy, uh, you know, on a shoddy uh, laptop camera, that will often do very well on social. And you know, just look at you know Joe Rogan. You know, I know his podcasts are huge, and that's how he gets here you know, most of his money, most of his audience. Sure. But also, his content does really. I know what a Joe Rogan YouTube video looks of his podcast looks like. Yes. And weirdly, audio, you know, audio recordings, radio recordings filmed actually are better on the internet a lot of the time than the high TV production value stuff that Talk TV was trying to do. So in many ways, they, they, sort, of, they sort of took the wrong lessons from Talk Radio mm. and because... put them on TV. Yeah, because there are good radio presenters who have done a very experienced presenting radio on talk radio. You know, I've known Ian Collins for a number of years. He's a very, very, very good radio presenter. Um, Julia Hartley Brewer does a very punchy radio breakfast radio show. Now, you may not like it. It may not be the thing you want to wake up to in the morning, but it's a punchy, pretty popular breakfast radio talk radio show. I, I, you know, I don't quite see how that this mix of trying to make radio station a tele a linear television station and a digital radio station in a very in a kind of with all the mix of media environments that, that comes with could work plus you're also right that it looks glossy and they're trying to do something pretty convention you know conventional for you know they hired kate mccann from sky news she's a very good political reporter she's their political editor on the first night that channel was on on the 7 p.m hour she came with a pretty decent royal scoop uh, an interview with a, a former personal assistant, assistant from the royal household. It's you know pretty the type of thing you would see on any number of news stations. She got a good story, but that isn't the type of thing that's is that the type of thing that's make you going to go. Oh, I'm not going to watch Sky News. I'm going to watch this. I don't think so. And I, I the think answer seems, back, well, the numbers say no, don't they? Well, the numbers obviously say no. And I think to come back to to this, you know. When when you, when we've seen you know, the things we discussed about this this channel and you know looking at the actual output, the biggest surprise is not that it has done quite so badly. The biggest surprise really is that this is what they thought would work, in my opinion. Mm. And I and I do just have to you do just sort of have to wonder what happens in the process of launching this, whether they really thought about it in the clever way that you know that our company is capable of doing in terms of new product launches and it feels like something that that wasn't that there weren't enough people going no this is a dumb idea in the format you're trying to do it 
And that's uh, and all they, linear companies. Yeah, and they were re- initially, we know they were initially reticent about doing linear TV. And I would be fascinated. And if anyone from News UK wants to tell me the inside story of why that changed over the course of however long, maybe there is just a prestige thing still, particularly when you're run by someone like Rupert Murdoch, who loves big news channels and big traditional newspapers, um, about having a linear TV channel. Maybe it's as simple as that. And this was the best and most cost efficient way of doing it. But it's a lot of money for not a lot of people to watch it's i where i i disagree as i say i think it could if anyone was going to make it work it was going to be news uk with the resources at its disposal i still i do come around to agree with you that it probably was doomed to fail but i think for different reasons and i think the kind of television viewing and news television viewing culture in the uk we're now seeing it quite conclusively just does not absorb this kind of format there are not many people who build there are not many broadcasters in the uk that have these kind of personality cults around them in the way they do in the us i agree i agree with you to to a large extent about that but the, the thing that now that makes me think about this is the failure of this and broadly the failure of gb news means we are not going to see anyone try and do this again yeah. The question from from my political leaning about this then is, do they do something cleverer that tries to take advantage of that audience and push those talking points? And if so, will it be a success? Who knows? I mean, I, I, from my political viewpoint, I'd probably hope not. But uh, if I was looking at that, I'd be trying to learn a lot of lessons from what went wrong. Yes, and might be able to save yourself quite a lot of money as well. Um, Jasper Jackson, thank you so much for joining me to talk this all through. It's fascinating. It's going to be very interesting to see what comes next with this channel and what this company does with it and the very, you know, the pretty well remunerated people on that channel. Um, Where can people keep up with you and your work, Jasper? Um, So uh, the Bureau of Investigative Journalism, we have our own website, but we predominantly publish uh, with uh, partners. Uh, We're a non-profit organisation. Um, so generally I'm all out there, but you can find me on Twitter at Jasp Jackson, uh, which is where most of my work will go first. Um, I am at Charlotte A. Henry on Twitter. If you're listening to this in a podcast app, well, you know where to find me. If you're listening to it on Substack, well, you can listen to it on your favourite podcasting app too. Just search for the edition or the edition Charlotte Henry and you'll be find it. You'll be able to find it. Thank you so much to those who listen, share and subscribe to both this show and the newsletter. And I'll see you all next week. Thank you.